Hey, it's syndicated radio talk show host, author, singer, Al Cole, welcoming you to another edition of People of Distinction, the talk that gives an in-depth view of some of the most dynamic, intelligent, and successful people on the planet. I come from CBS Radio. My shows are nationally syndicated, and I've helped pave the way to treating women, guys too, with the dignity that they deserve. And I do that through my show, People of Distinction, aired on really a dignified radio network. And that's Apple's iTunes radio network under their professional news talk division, airing CBS shows, Fox News, NPR, BBC, C-SPAN, the whole kid and caboodle there. And I'll tell you, get a lot of feature for our guests. And Apple is known as one of the best out there through news talk. I also have my alliances. Uh, go to my website. Find them out. Uh, peopleofdistinction.org. That's peopleofdistinction.org. And uh, you can see people like Ariana Huffington, the founder of the Huffington Post, and my alliance with her and her Thrive Global Network, Drawing Millions, as well as uh, Dee Wallace, the actress who starred in one of the biggest films ever, Steven Spielberg's E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Dee uh, has her show that it has national and international acclaim. It's called Conscious Creation. Airs on my Al Cole Broadcasting Network every week through Apple for extra visibility for her show and other podcasters that have shows on my radio network. I also have my People of Distinction Humanitarian Awards events. You'll like those. National events in New York, Washington, D.C. through members of the U.S. Congress, U.S. Congressman Rob Whitman of Virginia. Sponsoring my events at the Rayburn House Office Building, great events in Florida, Atlanta, too. Honoring humanitarian and creative unsung heroes. Check it out at peopleofdistinction.org. Over 100 national and international unsung heroes since 2013. And I'm a media consultant as well. Major media consultant coming from CBS Radio. I help people to make a profit from what they do with their products and services, become entrepreneurial that way, and learn how to connect with other professionals. Very, very important. Professional networking to make a profit of what you do. If you like it, hey, email me at alcoholic at gmail.com. You heard me right. That's A-L-C-O-L-E. <laughs> H-O-L-I-C at gmail.com. And I really want to thank my CBS radio listeners for coming up with that handle, Alcoholics. It seems like from day one, my listeners have been saying, wow, Al, we love what you're doing there. In fact, we're hooked on it. We're Alcoholics. Love that. And also, I'm a New York Times bestselling author with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Chicken Soup for the Soul is distributed by CBS's Simon & Schuster. So we keep it in the family that way. Coming up, all right, this is, uh, this is a guy that you're really going to relate to. His name is Walter P. Signorelli. And uh, he's written a really gripping book here, Rome and America, The Great Republics, What the Fall of the Roman Republic Portends for the United States. Now, that's a mouthful. But it can be re reduced in its, you know, real simplicity uh, information as what do the Roman Empire and the United States have in common today with uh, the way that Walter puts it and the way that most people would put it, internal partisan politics. Now, that's a big deal. We know in the United States 
internal partisan, partisan politics is getting kind of sickening to people. What is this thing about right versus left all the time, conservative versus liberal all the time, and red versus blue all the time? And it seems like these people, you know, in Congress hate each other, depending on if they're right or left. They're not Americans anymore. At least they're not expressing the heart and soul of everyday Americans. Maybe that was what's going, what was going on with the Roman Empire just before its fall and during its fall. It took a while for the Roman Empire to fall. And maybe we're in the same predicament here, and we don't know it. Maybe we're falling. Some people would say falling from grace. Well, falling from the grace of the heart and soul of the American public and a lot of the values, everyday values of people that cut across partisan divide. All right, so I said it. And Walter's going to say it even better because he wrote the book on it, Rome in America. And not only that, but this guy, is he comes from a great background in two areas, at least two areas. Uh, a college professor. All right. So the guy knows what he's talking about. He's writing a book based on a lot of educational facts. And we like that on people of distinction. Plus, he's an attorney. And uh, he has defended a lot of people that way. Yeah, an attorney for the, uh, the, the uh, defense. <laughs> now, these days, we know that uh, that's becoming very, very popular in the public vernacular. You know, defend, particularly defending women. And most of you listeners right now are women, about 60%. So I want you to stick around, listen to Walter as he talks about the Roman Empire, the American Empire, you could say, what they have in common, unfortunately, and maybe some of the fortunate things that they have in common as well. Things that are going to relate to you and your lifestyle, your life here in the United States, and tips on how to make the U.S. a little bit better when it comes down to political divide. Welcome, Walter, to People of Distinction. I will say, uh, before I even welcome you, the book is available on Amazon, so pick it up there. Rome and America, the great republics, what the fall of the Roman Republic portends to the United States. And it was brought to me by Parchment Global Publishing. Brings me a lot of guests with spotlight interviews such as this. And uh, if you have a book that you want to move, move it through Parchment. They're one of the best. Parchment Global Publishing. Com. Now, welcome, Walter, to People of Distinction. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you today, Walter? Hello, Al. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's talk uh, it yeah. up. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to talk it up here about your book, Rome and America, and all the rest after that. Uh, people will, you know, they go to Amazon, they just put your name, Rome and America, and everything else will come up. <laughs> I want to find out about this great background of yours, and I think my listeners do too. You're an expert in uh, at least a couple of areas, education, college professing that way, and uh, also with uh, the law and being a, a defending attorney, if that's you know the proper vernacular there. Uh, introduce Walter a little bit that way, and then we're going to go into your book. Uh, you've been professionally very successful. Tell us about it. Well, I'm a defense attorney now and a consultant in police cases because uh, prior to being a defense attorney, I was in the New York City Police Department for over 30 years. I retired as an inspector out of the detective bureau. 
And when I was in the police department, I went to law school and graduated. And when I retired, I began practicing law. But I also began teaching at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And I've been there for 20 years. And uh, I've been teaching criminal justice courses. And I've also been very interested in history. And uh, I wrote a few books. And now I've written this book. And the point of the book is... If you read Roman history, you're struck by how many similarities there are between what went on then and what's going on now. As you set out, you put your finger on it, the, uh, the internal partisan politics seems to be uh, tearing us apart. So if you go back to Roman history, you see how they, they started very, very well. They, they set up, after they expelled the foreign king, uh, Tarquinius, the Etruscan king, which is similar to us expelling King George III, uh, they set up a republic and with an emphasis on checks and balances. Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't want one person to ever be all-powerful, so they had a, a strict system of checks and balances and a rule of law. They established an assembly of the people and a senate and uh, the executive branch headed by two councils. Well, our founders, they, followed, they copied them. It, Pretty clearly, I mean, not exactly, but the principles are the same. Uh, uh, we, uh, they created a Senate after the Roman Senate. They didn't follow the English Parliament or House of Lords. Uh, they had a Senate and the House of Representatives, which would be similar to the uh, Roman assemblies, and the executive branch headed by the president. The founders were so deep into Roman history that they debated in the Constitutional Convention about having two presidents because the Romans had two councils who could veto one another. This way no one would be too powerful. But our founders decided against that. I guess they added in the impeachment clause, which was some way of checking them. So both republics based on, on the system that they set up a very successful and of course, we know Rome went on to take control of, of Italy, and the and it, they were a unified nation. And the checks and balances system allowed them to get over the conflicts within their society. Every ancient society were class societies, and the Romans had patricians and plebeians, and they were the battle of, of the orders. They call it between those classes. But by having a system where people had to debate and compromise and make deals, they were able to uh, unify their nation. And, and you, you would say by, I mean, the, the Republic started in 509 B.C., but by 287 B.C., the plebeians had really gained political and legal equality with the patricians. And that's when Rome really became strong. And they went on to take Italy and then go overseas. They get in, they they. Be, they get into war with Carthage, which was the powerful Mediterranean uh, nation that controlled the Mediterranean commerce. And they defeat uh, Carthage in the First Punic War. But again, there's a similarity. This, they made a mistake. Uh, after the First Punic War, they imposed these draconian uh, reparations on Carthage, which destroyed Carthage, uh, destroyed their economy and just created a vengeance. And you got Hannibal, uh, who, and who starts the Second Punic War, and he invades Italy by crossing the Alps with his troops and, and his elephants, and there's a terrible war, the Second Punic War. Uh, well, similarly, uh, when we won the First 
World War, or we and our allies, uh, they imposed these draconian reparations on Germany, and what did you get? You got Hitler and the Second World War. So that's just one example of how uh, there were so many similarities, even in military matters and, uh, and economic matters, social matters, uh, that you can draw parallels. So it raises the question, are we following the same roadmap as the Romans did and they eventually uh, destroyed, or the Republic destroyed itself? Uh, other, there are a lot of similarities, and, and, and we have Democrats and Republicans. Uh, the uh, Romans had popularities and optimates. Popularities generally represented the common people and the optimates, the, the landed aristocracy. And there was conflict between between them, and, and it, it started uh, by a guy named Tiberius Gracchus, uh, 133 BC. He he saw that the uh, the Romans had had brought in so many slaves from their conquests that the slaves were doing all the work, and these these large latifundi, or it might be you call them plantations, with slave labor. Uh, was taking over the the economy, and the small farmers were being put out of business. Uh, they couldn't compete with the, the large farms, and they started gravitating to the city. Uh, they were unemployed, and they became a, a problem. So you had popular demagogues who who were uh, who were uh, trying to represent them, and Gracchus put in land reform which was going to take land away from the big landowners. And, of course, he got some pushback on that. So Gracchus, uh, his his intentions were good, but what he did, he made, uh, he circumvented the Constitution, and he broke the traditional rules. He uh, uh, Generally, legislation would have to go from the Senate. They would give their imprimatur and then send it over to the uh Assemblies, uh, but the Senate wouldn't send it over. It wouldn't they? Wouldn't take up his reform bill. So he says, "The hell with the Senate!" And he he just bypassed them and he, he submitted the bill right to the Assembly. And then uh, on another Tribune tried to veto it. He, they just threw threw the guy out of the Assembly, and uh, they passed the bill. They passed the land reform bill. Uh, well. Then he went a little further, and the next year he wanted to run for re-election. Under Roman law, you could only do one year at a time. So then he was breaking the rules again. So now uh, the optimates and the senatorial party, they they got together, they mobilized, and there were battles in the street, and Gracchus was killed. So that really is, uh, 133 BC is the beginning of the unraveling of the, of the Roman Republic that had been so called. Cohesive mm-hmm. and so successful. Yeah. So, every twenty years or so after, there was a new upsurge in violence and conflicts, and most of us know this story that uh, you're leading to Julius Caesar. But uh, there, there are a lot of other similarities. There was another follower of Gracchus named Drusus. Now, he was advocating for citizenship for the Italian allies. It's kind of like a civil rights legislation, and uh, he was pushing for it. He was the Italians wanted it, and he was telling them uh, to wait, have patience. And but he got assassinated right before the bill was to be passed, and that started a war. 
Uh, you could see a, a parallel. You could draw a parallel to JFK. Mm-hmm. He was pushing civil rights legislation. Legislation. He was trying to get it through the Senate, and they were, they were filibustering it and ho- holding it up. And he was telling uh, African-American leaders, the civil rights leaders, uh, I'll get it passed, have patience. But then he got assassinated. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in Rome, they had what they called a social war, where the Italians rebelled, and there was an all-out war for three years, a, a military-style style war. Uh, in our situation, not exactly the same, but in the 1960s, you, you might have thought we were at war here with all the riots and Detroit and Chicago and Newark, and they had to call out the National Guard. They actually called out federal troops, uh, and and we we know all the cities that were burned. So it's a different war, but it's, it's a similar a similar thing in a way. Yeah. So there's there's all these these parallels, and then the the question was as Rome as the animosity escalated between the partisan sides. Uh, each time the uh, it got more serious, and then you, you you got into civil war between Pompey the Great and Julius Caesar, and uh, then Caesar takes over. He, he's really representing the popularities. Uh, he crosses the Rubicon. He defeats Pompey, defeats the Senate forces, and has himself declared dictator. Well, uh, we haven't gotten that far yet here. Uh, that may not, you know. Uh, that may not be the result of what's going on, but you can see uh, the animosity between these sides. It's more than just, say, labor negotiating against management. It's these sides, they seem to really despise each other, and mm-hmm. that's not a healthy situation. No, it and, isn't. Uh, now, I want to jump in here uh, because we want to piecemeal, uh, piecemeal this little by little to our listeners. Uh You've done an extraordinary job at uh, delineating the history of it, and I want to uh, <clears throat> break it down a little bit into uh, you know some of the relevant chunks for our listeners this way, and then have a question that I'm going to ask you at the end of that. Now, this goes out to my listening audience here on People of Distinction. Walter is talking about, of course, uh, the Roman Empire, how it developed. Very good empire in the beginning. And uh, the plebeians and the patricians, the people who were the everyday people, you could say, and then the wealthier class of people, the patricians, uh, actually coming together in the in some point at the uh, the beginning of the uh, the empire, and or maybe the middle of the empire, and actually having the plebeians uh, develop power within the empire. In other words, you know, there was a thriving, you could say, maybe working class, middle class even. And years ago, not that long ago, but, uh, you know, 50, maybe even 40 years ago, people could uh, work at a supermarket and, you know, be a cashier, things along that line, maybe even own a house. Uh, That's maybe one of the structural uh, parallels here between Rome and America that way. And then reparations, as you know, Walter was talking about, reparations against Carthage. And Hannibal went out there with his elephants and everything else and started to rebel. Well, you know, people have been rebelling uh, after World War II. It was pretty settled with the 50s here in the United States and the GI Bill and other things that created uh, kind of a thriving middle class and, you know, family orientation 
aspects to our society. Uh, but then, you know, sometimes uh, politicians can ask a little bit too much, and then there are uh, there are points at which people won't take it anymore. And he was touching on the 60s and the war in Vietnam, brought down a president, things along that line. Corruption within the executive branch is a big part of what Walter's talking about. Now, we can start to relate to that after Kennedy, and he mentioned Kennedy, after the assassination of Kennedy. And Lyndon Johnson, who probably maybe would not have been the vice president in Kennedy's second term, might have even been up against uh, criminal charges. Well, he became the president and did some very stunning things in the beginning, the Civil Rights Act and a whole bunch of other things. However, uh, he hid some things from the public, too, with the war in Vietnam, escalating that. The public didn't want to take it anymore. And then Nixon came in, and then right and corruption all over the place in the executive branch. Nobody was actually impeached. Even Nixon was not impeached because he knew he had to resign before he would be thrown out of the office. And he was mentioning back to Rome, you know, Tiberius, and some of the, you know, the, the corruption at that time. The rich and the powerful were getting more rich and powerful. After a while, uh, it was not an egalitarian sort of society within Rome. And it certainly is not an egalitarian sort of society within the United States. Class means a lot here. We're really talking about class struggle to some extent. We don't like to use that term in the media too often. In fact, almost never in major mass media. And that is one of the most salient aspects to this class struggle. And then one other thing that I'm going to throw in, and it's a precursor to something that Walter would be saying. Constantine. And the Holy Roman Empire, it took a long time for the empire to fall. The Holy Roman Empire, about 300 A.D. or something like that. I think uh, Walter got up to uh, eh, maybe 100 B.C. or something, maybe around the time of Christ, maybe not even then. But then, you know, the Holy Roman Empire and its allegiance, alliance with, of course, what was then known as some sort of Christianity, the Catholic Church. Whoa! And the corruption that happened that way and the changing of scriptures and all of this stuff. Whoa, again, rich and powerful classes here. Now, that is one of the glaring, glaring similarities between the Roman Empire and the American Empire, if you will. And Walter didn't quite touch on, okay, so now it's going to be an oligarchy here in the United States. But he was getting close. The rich and the powerful. And particularly now with the president uh, in the Oval Office, it seems, you know, just to be content with uh, rich and powerful interests, that sort of thing. Then now we see glaringly how it stacks up in terms of similarities here. And we talked that way on People of Distinction with Al Cole. I want you to order this book, Rome and America, The Great Republics. What the Fall of the Roman Republic Portends to the United States. Walter P. Signorelli on board here on People of Distinction with Al Cole. You can order the book at Amazon. All right, so I ran it down my way as well. I think that uh, there's a a congruence here between the way I ran it down and the way that you ran it down. And now continue on here into how corruption means a 
big, big deal here with both empires in the executive branches. You know, the kings and the queen, well, not queens in Rome, but um, later on, you know, certain things that develop with allegiances that maybe had to do with England or whatever. Uh, but certainly the corruption in the executive branches of uh, the U.S. since Kennedy. Uh, there's a similarity here, isn't there, Walter, between uh, America yes, and Rome? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think a good example of what you, what you pointed out correctly, uh, you know, Rome had a war called against Jugurtha in North Africa, and they sent troops over there. And during that war, it wasn't going well. And all sorts of allegations of bribery and the generals were, were letting this Jugurtha, who was like a, a, North, a Numidian king, they were letting him off the hook for, uh, you might say, bribes. And when this came, and then the Romans lost the legion to him. So the, it's not going well, this bribery. And then the people found out about it and they were enraged and they wanted to get rid of the... Uh, they lost faith in the generals and the leaders. Now, you could draw an analogy to Vietnam. You you pointed out, you know, a lot of things were hidden. They kept telling us, well, uh, yeah, we're winning, we're winning. And then uh, and then you had the Tet Offensive, and everyone realized, well, maybe we're not winning so easily. And so the, the, uh, the you know, this, uh, the disappointment in, in, the, in the leaders leads to uh, rebellious attitudes. And we know in the 60s we had anti-establishment was the thing. And that's the kind of thing that can can lead to divisiveness in the nation, could eventually lead, if you take it all the way out, you could say, you know, we, we may have trouble ahead someday, and maybe we're never going to be, we're not going to be united anymore. I mean, that's speculative, but uh, you have to think about those things. So I agree with you that uh, there's always corruption in every society, but uh, sometimes it it reaches a, a tipping point, and then the people uh, rebel. And we don't know what how it's going what form it's going to take, but something's going to happen. Now, let me uh, let me ask you this to make it very relevant to our time, and our time could be you know two thousand plus. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be right now in 2019. But uh, certainly, since the Bushes, anyway, after Reagan, since the Bushes, uh, there has been an increase percentage-wise of wealth within that, what we call that 1%, or even point, uh, 0.1% of the, of the population. And it seems to be something that is just you know, it happens normally. Maybe at the time that Bush one took office, it might have been seventy percent of uh, of the wealth of this country within that one or point one percent, and then eighty percent, and then ninety, and then nine. Uh, these days, it, it could be nine up to ninety five percent under Trump. Where does it end? Uh, that sort of thing with obvious rich and powerful interests here uh it broke rome when will when will it break the united states do you think well uh, i don't know about individuals but i think the pattern that you know when rome 
they were successful in Italy, but then when they expanded across into the Middle East, North Africa, they got the mines in Spain, and they took Gaul, and they had all those slaves that they took. Those slaves were essentially made them rich, you know. Uh, horrible as it sounds, uh, they were considered property and, and valuable. So Rome, uh, uh, you know, they, they had a certain amount of wealth, but when you go uh, globally, then the wealth increases astronomically. Now, I think the same thing here. I mean, you, if you were a successful businessman in 1950s America and you were selling a product, you might sell it in your county or your, your state, and you were a millionaire. But now, these People sell things across the world. They sell it to China. They sell, so they're not millionaires, they're billionaires. Mm. So uh, I, I think that's something, you know, economics is, uh, has a will of its own. I don't know about any particular politician uh, being responsible or, or not responsible for it, but uh, it, it is something we really have to be cognizant of. That, uh, well, we are. We're cognizant. The problem. We're aware of the problems. Is there a solution that you point out in Rome in America? Well, uh, I, I, I think when Thomas Jefferson talked about education and the people had to be educated, uh, and we can learn a lot from the Federalist Papers of why our system should work the way it is, we have to stick, we have a good system, and we got to compromise is the name of the game and integrity, and not to... Uh, uh, hate the other side as as we seem to in our society with the media and the, and the press and, and the internet it seems to me that you know they're vilifying people on the other side instead of just trying to work out uh, a you know better agreement i mean if you want 30 percent taxes and the other side wants 50 percent taxes just work out a compromise settle on 40 percent but it, it's gone beyond that it's it's you know, if if you look at our civil war, we had to have a civil war. But before it, it was really vitriol. You know, I remember one of those preachers, northern preachers, was talking about all those southerners should be cast into hell. And the southerners are talking about the greedy northerners. So when it takes on a personal basis, that that's more dangerous than just economic interest to try to try to negotiate with each other. Yeah. And negotiating this book in your hands is going to be easy, people. You can order it. Rome and America, the Great Republics, what the fall of the Roman Republic portends to the United States. Our guest, Walter P. Signorelli, who wrote the book. You can order it at Amazon.com. Walter, we just have some minutes left in the show. There's always a time constraint on uh, people of distinction. I want to take it out with some possibility thinking in terms of possibilities for the U.S. We know that if we were in the Roman Empire sometime around uh, I don't know, the turn of uh, that particular century that uh, Christ was born, uh, we might have said, well, Rome is going to be doing this or that. It's going to be even more powerful. It's going to be more egalitarian. We might have been wrong. Uh, we might have been right in terms of, oh, yeah, Christianity is going to start to take over, but it might not be the Christianity that Christ was uh, talking and about and espousing. However, right now, if you had to predict, and even if it's outside the scope of your book, certainly this is a natural question because of the scope of your book. 
Where is America going to be 50 years from now? Big question, and you don't have much time to answer it, maybe two minutes or so. Where is America going to be in 50 years, do you think? Well, uh, it's tough to make a prediction, and when you have a, uh, you're a little cynical like I am, you, you, you could be pessimistic, but I, I can get past that. I think we will come together. I mean, somewhere, people are, good people are going to come along and uh, if we if we educate ourselves and we read and we and we have discussions like this, people are going to say, you know, let, let's come up with a solution and 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 come up with compromise and and pick a better path. But we we really have to uh, uh, not be so draconian against each other. You know, just an ex- uh, I point an example about how terrible it was for the republic to be lost and turn it into uh, an emperorship. You know, in the Roman Senate during the Republic, you had free speech. You had senators could talk to the councils, and and and, and they were all equal in a sense. And when when the autocracy started, when you got an emperorship after Augustus, uh, it just got worse and worse. You had one terrible emperor after another, Caligula and and Nero, uh, and and the oppression. People lost their freedom. They were not citizens anymore. They became subjects. Yeah. Under Diocletian, I uh, read something there one day. In order to go in to see Diocletian, the emperor, senators had to crawl in on their hands and knees and lie flat prone on the ground until the emperor told them they could stand up. You know, that is, it's just, uh, you know, it's incredible turnabout from free free citizens with free with civil rights and property rights to be just subjects of some... Uh, tyrannical emperor so uh, i mean that's a roman very bad who knows you know what the future holds for us but uh fortunately rome i guess uh christianity kind of ameliorated ameliorated some of the uh the tyranny uh, i don't know well that's another question entirely uh, mm-hmm. but uh they couldn't have predicted christianity in, in during the republic and we probably can't predict what's going to happen uh, a century or so from now. Yeah. I'm going to uh, cap off the show with a couple of cents of my own, underscoring the great sense of the book, Rome and America, the Great Republics, what the fall of Roman Re- the Roman Republic portends for the United States. And I'm going to put it in people of distinction terms. One of the things that goes on and on, no matter what the society is, no matter who the leaders are, is love. All right, so that's people of distinction way of putting it. Love, now get this, people. DNA doesn't change. I don't think the human DNA particularly has changed since the Roman Empire. Uh, I think that deeply embedded, and I'm using that as just one of the descriptive terms, DNA, one of the aspects of DNA, human DNA, you could even say human spirituality, is the need for love. The beautiful inventiveness, exuberance of love itself. Now, who would really envision a loveless life and a loveless world? Uh, nobody really could even think that that would be worth living. Life is worth living because of hope as much as anything else. And we hope for 
greater and greater love in our life. We might think that we hope for greater and greater riches, but riches without love, without caring, without the heart and soul involvement of human beings around us and within us is not a life that we particularly think is worth living. And more and more in our time, if people are squeezed to more and more of that limit of having a loveless life, a stressful life, and a life that's built upon, well, I've got to protect myself. I've got to be defensive about this group coming after me or this individual or this president of the United States taking away some of my rights. And if I'm spending so much time in the defensive mode, what kind of time do I have to spend in the love mode with my family, with my friends, with relaxing with nature, people? Nature has to come into it to some extent. And so I see big rebellion happening in this country over the next 50 years or so, and particularly with the millennials. Millennials aren't used to being pushed around in this way. They are, well, they're probably the least prejudiced group of people in human history. And at the same time, they were not brought up particularly to be responsible business-wise. Now, that's a fact. It's not a put-down. But what it means is there has to be some sort of codependency here among the different generations. The baby boomers, well, they have learned how to thrive to some extent uh, financially. And they make about 70% of the income in this society still. And the millennials are way down the ladder when it comes down to income. They're way up the ladder in terms of numbers. But unless it equalizes a little bit and millennials get a fair share of the pie, as we were talking about, and they're thinking, well, you know, we, we demand this and we deserve this. And our parents said that we deserve it. You know, we were raised that way and all of this. And we we're raised in the, uh, in the age of cell phones and instant communication. We want it now. After a while, there will be rebellion and there will be maybe even revolution. Is that any different from any other epoch in U.S. or, or Earth history? The rebellion's going on as we speak. So the big thing is, let's put on our realistic glasses right now, people. How much longer can you take it? And Rome fell, and even, you know, the big daddy English empire fell. It's now called the U.K., but it's not the empire that it was. It, it is not. It's just not. And we have to admit that Asian cultures are a, a growing big deal in this world. And not, not Western cultures as much at all. We live in a Western-oriented culture, and even more so an enclosed American culture. And yet, we're becoming more and more international within that culture. Hispanics and Asians and blacks and people of color. And what about the Native Americans? We have to look at this thing realistically. Realistically, people are going to fight for their rights when they seem to have nothing else to lose, as Bob Dylan said. You ain't got nothing. You got nothing left to lose. And that's the sad part of it, people. 
The bloodshed's not going to be on the basis of the people who are fighting for their rights. It's going to be on the basis of the people who are trying to maintain their riches and power over the people who are trying to maintain their rights. And it always has been that way. So is there a happy ending to this? There's only a happy ending if reason can prevail. And whether it can or not, we don't know yet, as Walter was saying. But we appreciate Walter being on the show just for this, you know, just for this dialogue here, going out to the U.S. people right now and the people around the world. And let's at least garner the love that we have with our families and our friends and try to throw a little bit of love out there whenever we can to other human beings. And maybe that might suffice in the end. And people of distinction, well, we talk this way. And we thank again Walter P. Signorelli for being our special guest. Rome and America, one more time, order that. The Great Republics, What the Fall of the Roman Republic Portends to the United States on Amazon.com. And one more time, he's brought to me by Parchment Global Publishing, one of the best in the publishing world. you got a book that you want to move, there, you movers. ParchmentGlobalPublishing.com. Thank you, Walter, for being my guest on People of Distinction with Alcohol. Today, we wish you all the very best with your book and with all of your professional directions. Thank you, Walter. Thank you, Al. I thought it was great. <laughs> You're a quick study, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, see, I, I can. I've had so many different types of people on the show, two thousand interviews, and plus, I'm, I'm lucky. I've had a very good educational background. I can adjust right. to almost anybody who comes on the show and add a little bit of right. you know my common sense to it as well.